Father, it's so wonderful to come here tonight, Lord, and to have free access to you by the Spirit. Father, that's a wonderful and a very privileged place that we have. Father, I just pray we might never take it so for granted, Lord, that uh, we don't appreciate it. Father, we want to tell you tonight, Lord, we do appreciate it very much indeed. And Father, I want to thank you for the beauty of everything you do in the life of a believer. Father, there, though sometimes the measures are drastic, yet there's always a beauty about it, Lord. And I want to thank you because you are all that is beautiful to us. You're so wonderful. Hallelujah. And Father, you said, those who worship me shall worship in spirit and in truth. And I thank you, Lord, that's a balanced diet, Lord. The dose of the Holy Spirit and a morsel of the truth. And Father, it's so wonderful because that diet just builds us up all the time, Lord. It makes us strong, healthy, resistant, Father. And yet it doesn't allow us to become flabby Christians. And I praise you for it. Father, will you just take over this evening? Every single part of it, Lord. And may we know that you are the one, the only one, here tonight. Father, may people say about us that we have been with Jesus this night. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, um, we spent the last two weeks in this basic course studying Adam and Eve and salvation according to Genesis 3. And it was necessary that we sort of digress from the main theme. But tonight, we start on the real theme, the barrier between God and man. Now, just to recap quickly, uh, I went over this, I think, in the first Bible study, there is a barrier, a brick wall between God and man. Uh, I've broken it down into uh, six bricks. From the top, there's sin... The next one is the penalty of sin. The next one down is physical birth. The next one, God's character. Next one is man's good deeds. And the last one, temporal life. And in that first Bible study, I discussed why this was a barrier between God and man. You see, God's character is on one side, and your character is on the other. And there are many areas where they just don't mix at all. And each one of these stones taken by itself is enough to cause a barrier between you and God. And when God saw this barrier up, he knew that he had to provide the answer. And there was only one answer he could provide. And the answer was salvation. And it's right that we as Christians here tonight, and all of us are Christians here tonight, learn more about the salvation that the Lord Jesus has provided for us. Because unless you know about the salvation you've got, how can you glory in it? How can you rejoice at the wonder of it? And how can you rejoice that God has been loving enough and gracious enough to have provided it? And so now tonight, in this fourth Bible study, we're going to start at the top and take out the first stone. We're first of all going to see what the barrier was. And then in the same Bible study, we're going to see the answer that God gave. Now, let's have a close look at this uh, barrier, which I've labelled up there, sin. There are three parts to this barrier. Three parts to the sin barrier. The first part is what I would call the old sin nature. The old sin nature. We saw when Adam fell, that he immediately died spiritually and received an old sin nature. <coughs> And that old sin nature has been passed along through 
the fathers to every single member of the human race. Now this means that the, the split second you were born, you were a sinner before God. You see, many people think that the only reason one is cut off from God is because one does bad things. That's not it at all. You do bad things because you're a sinner already. One seventieth of a second after you come out of the womb, Jesus had to die for you. Now, it's an amazing thing, and God knew that. So the first part of the barrier is the old sin nature, passed on through your father, who received it from his father, who received it from his father, and you can trace it right back through Adam. And two weeks ago, we saw how Adam's sin had caused the old sin nature to enter into every member of the human race. That's why it says there is none righteous, no, not one, and that includes babies as well. The second part of uh, the stone that I've called sin up here is Adam's sin. You see, whether we like it or not, because Adam sinned, we are classed as sinners. The moment he sinned, he died spiritually. And because of that, the moment you were born, not only did you have an old sin nature, but you were also spiritually dead the moment you came out of the womb. God is a spirit. He communicates in the spirit. And there is every person who is born without a spirit. The spirit is dead within them. That's a barrier between God and man. And the last part of the sin, stone, is of course our own personal sins. Now I'm not going to ask everyone here, uh, can you remember your first sin? Because probably you can't. You probably sinned long before you were conscious of sinning. And all you needed is one little sin, and there was the barrier, cast up immediately. Now, two of those things we can trace back to Adam. The old sin nature, Adam's fault. Yeah. His imputed sin, the fact that he died spiritually and you're dead spiritually, is Adam's fault. But the last one is your fault. And it doesn't matter anyway, because it only needed one of those three, and sin would have been a barrier between God and you. Let's have a look at that. Uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I want to continue where we left off two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, it might even have been, in John chapter 8. <coughs> and John chapter 8, verse 30. Now, you have to imagine a group of people standing around Jesus... And they're listening to him intently. And it's probably a very large crowd. And verse 30 begins, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Out of this uh, large crowd, there were those who wanted to know Jesus. And as he started speaking, people in the crowd began accepting him as their Lord and Saviour in their hearts. There were others, of course, mixed in who didn't want it at all. They were there only to criticize Jesus. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, it's clearly defined which ones he's talking to, if, and you remember we saw clearly, it was perhaps you will, perhaps you won't, it's up to you, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now these are believers. It says clearly that uh, in Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. And we know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. 
These are believers, they have eternal life. Yet he says to them, now you've got a choice. You're either a believer who lives in the word, or you're a believer who ignores the words of the Lord Jesus. But if, as he says here, if, and perhaps you might, perhaps you might not, you continue in the word, you are indeed my disciples. Now notice the word continue. You don't just listen to it. You don't just come to the Friday night Bible study and that's it. Everything you hear, you apply in your life. You continue in it. In other words, tomorrow morning, you are continuing in the things you've heard at the Bible study. If you continue in the Word of God, you are indeed my disciples. And then it says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, of course, that obviously has the application to non-Christians. That they shall know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. But it also applies to us. God has given us a wonderful heritage. Here it is. The Word of God. Every single paragraph in this Word of God is inspired by Him. And it's been given to you for your upbuilding. There isn't one sentence in this book that you can say, Oh well, no, I don't want to know about that particular passage, thank you very much. It's all here. God has left it as a heritage. If you knew how God had protected His Word, you'd be amazed. Every single phrase, every single sentence, every single capital letter, every single false stop in this Word of God, God has protected that you might benefit from it and glory in it. What a shame most Christians don't know what it is to glory in the Word of God. Now, let's go over the page. Let's just continue. They answered him. Now, this is the religious crowd coming in. This is the religious part of the crowd about to speak. They answered him. We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Now notice, Jesus had said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now you cannot free a person who is already free. And here were these Jews, they were pretty proud of the fact that they belonged to the Jewish race. We have Abraham as our father. They were very proud about it. And the one thing that happens when pride dominates the life, you begin saying silly things. And here they go. They answered, we be Abraham's seed. What? Didn't you know we're Abraham's seed? Oh, yes. We have the best pedigree out. And we're never in bondage to any man. Now, any person who knows their Bible knows that that is just untrue. Certainly, had they thought about it, that is definitely untrue. They spent 400 years in bondage in Egypt, for example. Notice what they said. We're never in bondage. We've never been in bondage. We don't need anyone to set us free. 400 years in Egypt. <clears throat> well, that was bondage. Yet Nebuchadnezzar came along, took them into bondage as well for 70 years. Um, even recently, before Jesus' time, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes had come along. They'd been in bondage to him. And at the time of speaking, the Romans had taken over the whole of Israel. They had uh, soldiers marching about in the land. We've never been in bondage to anyone, they say. Actually, of course, they're in bondage on three main issues. Let's have a look at them. I've mentioned the Romans already. There were Roman troops marching up and down the streets. Oh, no. They weren't in bondage to anyone. They were completely free. 
The next thing was, they were in bondage to a religious system. Now, if you've ever lived in a religious system, you'll know just how that brings you into bondage. They lived in the worst one there's ever been. They had not only the Old Testament, they also had a book which they'd written called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was there to explain the Old Testament to you. And as you can imagine, it not only explained it, it expanded it a lot. You see, the Old Testament says, Thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. Thou shalt do no work on the Sabbath day. What did the Mishnah say? The Mishnah told you exactly what you could do and exactly what you couldn't do. The Mishnah said that if uh, a friend of yours accidentally fell over and cut one of his major blood supplies in his body, you couldn't do anything about it. You just had to stand there and watch him bleed to death. In fact, just a bandage, of course, wrapped round the arm would have saved his life. Oh, no. Sorry, you must do no work on the, on the Sabbath day, and that's work. Uh, if your mule falls into a ditch, you mustn't pull it out. If your mule has a heavy baggage on the back, has a, a heavy load on its back, you can loosen the strap, and if it falls off, that's okay. As long as you don't help it fall off. That's a sin, you see. So, you have a barrel of wine. The best wine, the most expensive wine you've ever bought. It springs a leak on the Sabbath day, sorry. It's got you all drained out, all over the floor. And there's nothing you can do about it. Oh no, they weren't in bondage to anything. And the next thing they were in bondage to was sin. You see, any person that has committed sin is in bondage to sin. Now they were in bondage in those three main areas. I know me, I would have been sarcastic at this point. I would have said, oh, so you've never been in bondage. Sorry, who are these Roman troops walking down the street? Or I would have said, marvellous, if you've never been in bondage, could you come over next Saturday and help me move my flat, please? <clears throat> Jesus was much more gracious than that. Here it is, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, and it's two very familiar words, Amen, Amen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. I don't like the word servant. Servant has dignity about him. I imagine one of these Victorian servants. I prefer the word slave. In Greek it's the word slave. I'll read it again. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, or the slave of sin, coming in there. Now what's he saying? He's saying any person who has at any time ever committed a sin is not only just in bondage to that sin, he is a slave to sin. The fact that you commit sins shows <coughs> that you are in bondage to sin. Every single human person, every single member of the human race that's ever been born has been a slave to sin. They just said, we're not in bondage to anyone. Jesus takes the best, the sin aspect, and says, now look, every person that has committed a sin, he is a slave to sin. A slave. I like the word slave for different reasons which will come out later on in the Bible study. Now, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're sitting here tonight saying, Oh, of course, I'm not in bondage to sin. I'm sorry. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, Jesus goes on. Let's have a look. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin. 
and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Now there's a house over here. There's a wonderful mansion over there. You don't have a slave abiding in your house forever. A slave is someone who waits in the house, and as soon as you finish, he goes, he leaves the house. Only members of the family live in the house. And especially members of the Christian family live there forever. Because it's only through Jesus, of course, that you get eternal life. And Galatians 3.26 says it's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that one becomes a child of God. Now, here it is. A slave isn't in the house, not forever. Who is in the house? A member of the family. He stays in the house forever and forever and forever. All was there. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And Jesus is saying, I provide the way of salvation. Now, there's the problem, you see? Now, that's a pretty big stone, isn't it? Sin has created slaves to itself. Every person who was ever born was a slave to sin. Now, the answer to the stone... There's the problem. The answer to the stone is found in the word redemption. Actually, there are two answers, redemption and atonement, both of these. We probably won't get onto atonement tonight, but we can at least start on redemption. Now, uh, up on the piece of paper there, I've written two Greek words for redemption. They're both very important. Here they are. The first one is lutruo. I'll spell it. I put this in, uh, of course, our alphabet, L-U-T-R-O-O, Lutruo. The next one is my favourite, and it's Exagorazo, E-X-A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. Now, I love both of these words. Here's what they mean. The first one uh, means literally a ransom, a ransom. Now, we're living in a day when there are lots of kidnappings going on. There are you. You're in the power of a force, perhaps a group of men, a force that you can't break free from. And someone comes along and says, I'm willing to pay the price for your freedom. That's Lutruo. Someone comes along and they redeem you. There you are. Uh, the, the bandits, whoever has got you, say, we want a million pounds and we're not going to set them free until we get a million pounds. And someone comes along and says, I'll lutruo them. I'll redeem them. I'll pay the ransom. That's the first. The next one comes from two words. Ex comes from the word ek, E-K, which means out from, out from. And perhaps you recognize the next word. Agorezo, agora. And the agora was the marketplace. The marketplace. In Latin, it would be the forum. And not only were ordinary goods sold there, but the main thing is slaves were sold there. And so ex agorezo means to buy out from the slave market of sin. Now, you may not know many words in the Bible. At least you know redeem now and the word redemption. Every time you find the word redeem or redemption, it's normally one of those two. And it means either a ransom, or it means to buy out from the slave market. Now, in this market, all the slaves were lined up. Now, you just imagine a slave. He comes along. He's probably got a stick over his shoulders. 
His hands are manacled to the stick. His feet are manacled together, and there they come in, all chained together, in rows. And they're in the middle of the market square. They're all chained up, like this. What Jesus is saying is, that's a perfect picture of you. You might not feel that way, but that's the perfect picture of every single person in the human race today. <coughs> chained up, slaves to sin. And there they all are, standing there. Now, is it obvious to everyone here that in that type of condition, you need someone from outside to come and purchase the slaves. It's impossible for one slave, man caught himself, chains round his legs, chained with his, his fellow servants, to come along and say, yes, I think I'll buy 50 of these slaves. Absolutely impossible. It needs a free man to come into the marketplace and to buy you out from the marketplace. Ex agarezo. You see, you are a slave in the slave market of sin. Now then, unfortunately, as we've, always, as we've already seen, every single person of the human race not only has an old sin nature, which makes you a slave to sin, not only was dead spiritually, which makes you a slave to sin, because you've come short of the glory of God, I'm afraid you've also got personal sins. So you're a slave as well. It needs someone to come along without those three. Now it's so important. That's why, and I'm not going to name them, most of the religious leaders and religions of this world cannot set you free from the slave market of sin. Why not? Because their founders were in there as well, unfortunately. Who was the only person who was not in the slave market of sin? Well, we saw this last week. The Lord Jesus Christ was the only one. Why? Through the virgin birth, he didn't have an old sin nature. That was good. He wasn't dead spiritually, which came from Adam, and in his life he never committed one sin. Suddenly a free man appears on the scene. Free man. And he walks into the arena, into the forum, into the marketplace, and there are all these slaves to sin. And he says, I'll have the lot. And he pays the price. The word ex agarezo is what Jesus did for you. He bought you out of the slave market of sin. Now what an interesting word this word redeem is. Fancy saying that. The Greek word actually saying to buy out of the market. To go to Tesco's and purchase something. That's what it means. And the thing being purchased is you. Let's have a look at it. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 18 and 19. 18 and 19. For as much as ye know, do you know these things? It's so important for every believer to have a knowledge of the truth and about salvation. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed... Yes, there it is. There's our word. You were not paid for by the Lord with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain uh, conversation received by tradition from your fathers. By the way, <clears throat> that is uh, just a little jibe at the religious Jews around. Notice what it says. Your vain conversation. The word vain means empty. <clears throat> and conversation means way of life. Now these were very, very devout people. They used to pray seven times a day. 
They used to go to the temple at least three times a day. They used to go around doing every scrap of good that they could. But Peter says, it's vain, empty tradition. It's vain, empty conversation or way of life. And you were not redeemed from that with corruptible things such as silver or gold. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Now, of course, this is a reference, of course, to the Old Testament times. In the Old Testament, what used to happen was this. If a man had sinned, he used to go along to the high priest and say, I've sinned. And he used to take with him an animal, normally a lamb, which was perfect on the outside. It didn't have a spot or blemish anywhere on the outside. And the priest used to take it and tie it up by the brazen altar, and he used to say to the man, right, what sins have you committed? And the man used to say, well, I've committed this, this, and this. And the priest used to go along, put his hand on top of the lamb, and he used to say, he's committed this, this, and this. Have you committed anything else? And then the man would think again, and he'll say, oh, yes, and I also committed this and he will put his hand on the head of the lamb and he'll say oh and he also committed this it wasn't complete there the priest would then take a knife and would slit the throat of the lamb now you just imagine that did the lamb do anything wrong had the lamb been a sinner all its life had it been going around doing evil things it had not that lamb was perfect outwardly inwardly it had never sinned in its life Yet it died, and the picture was the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ bearing our sins on the cross. He died for each one of us, and he was innocent when he went to the cross. Yet he died in agony because of your sin. Now there's the picture. The marvelous thing about it was that in the Old Testament times, of course, most people couldn't read. It would have been ridiculous had they printed a tract explaining it all. Here was a practical demonstration of the death of Jesus that everyone could understand. And if they didn't understand it, the elders or the uh, priests used to come along and explain it to the people. Now, it's a perfect example. Here was the innocent lamb dying, not because of its own sins, but because of the sins of the person who had put his trust in that lamb. There it is. The Ten Commandments were there to prove to men, to prove to you and me, that we are sinners, needing a saviour. Let's turn just quickly once again to Genesis chapter 3. Because in my uh, Bible study on Genesis, I talked about Adam and Eve being saved. <clears throat> now that we're on redemption, I think we can understand it. Here it is. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Verse 21. Now you remember the story, I hope. I'll recap very quickly on it. Eve was deceived. Adam came along and deliberately sinned. Then they heard the voice of the Lord. He was walking in the garden, that's grace, and they hid. They had made themselves coverings of fig leaves, loincloths, if you remember, of fig leaves. And you remember the point that I made was that that represents religion. Here's Adam and Eve, through their own works, trying to cover up their nakedness. There it is. Did the leaves contain blood? They did not. And Hebrews 9.22 
says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The fig leaves never solved any man's sin at all. And then we went right through the condemnation and then the story of salvation. The end of that story is as glorious as the beginning. Because Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who was God walking in the garden, explained to them, Adam and Eve, about the fact that blood was necessary to take away sin. And if you read in verse 21, Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothes them. Now it's very important. This is extremely important. They were already clothed. They didn't need new clothes. The fig leaves were quite adequate. What does this speak of? You imagine this. After Jesus had spoken to Adam and Eve, he goes out into the Garden of Eden, where all the animals were at peace with human beings. There was no fear anywhere around. He took hold of one of the animals, and in front of Adam and Eve, he killed it. In front of it. He then skinned it, and used the skin to make new long cloths. There was the picture. The Lord Jesus had explained to them very clearly that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. He had sacrificed this animal and Adam and Eve had believed it and were willing to take on the coats of skins which they then wrapped around their body. You have the blood mentioned in those skins. Now we know this of course from further on. If you remember Cain and Abel come into the picture. With Cain and Abel you have two people. Cain who was a tiller of the field. By the way, he was a marvellous farmer. He produced such wonderful produce, probably we've never seen the like today. He really worked hard. And there was Abel who kept sheep. Now what did he keep sheep for? For mutton? Oh no. They weren't allowed to eat meat before the flood. Not at all. He kept sheep either for the wool or for the purpose of sacrifice. And they went along, both had worked hard, both deserved a man's recognition, and there was an altar, and they laid down their gift in front of the altar. And yet, if you remember, without going into it in detail, this is, Cain's was not accepted, but Abel's was. The reason? Because Abel's was given to God with the blood. You see, no matter what good deeds you do, they are not acceptable to God. You can get, spend your whole life doing good deeds, and God cannot receive them. You see, he's absolute perfection. And here are you, with your little good deeds. They're nowhere near perfect. In fact, many of them are slight, uh, very imperfect indeed. And you come along and say, God, haven't I done well? God looks down and says, no, indeed not. Because compared to him, you haven't done well. But the moment blood's applied to the situation, salvation is applied, and God can receive it. That's why you, as a believer today, having trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, having been covered with the blood of the Lord Jesus, can actually do work for God. Without the blood, you couldn't do it. Without the blood of Jesus covering over you, God could not look upon the sacrifices you make. Today, your sacrifices are thoroughly acceptable to God, but only because of the blood of Jesus. Cain, he was rejected, absolutely. 
You'll notice also, by the way, that Noah, the first thing Noah did when he came down out of the ark, he built an altar and he sacrificed. Who'd he learned about sacrifice from? Well, it had been passed on right the way from Adam. There'd been sacrifices going all the time. And there's evidence in Genesis 4, when we've reached Genesis 4, we'll talk about it, that actually, on a particular day each year, they used to make a sacrifice to God. And this continued. And the, it was all passed down. Enoch knew about it. Methuselah knew about it. Noah learnt about it right the way from Adam. The gospel, in other words, was being preached right the way down from the Garden of Eden. From the time that Adam and Eve became believers, when they were willing to accept the sacrifice that God had made for them, it, the message of salvation was being passed on and on and on, right the way down through Adam. Until, of course, one of Adam's, or rather one of Eve's descendants, dies as the Lamb of God on the cross. The redemption comes in Jesus now, it's a thrilling story. Now, there we all are, in the slave market of sin. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ has died as our Redeemer. And what's the word Redeemer? comes from the word redemption, exactly. There we are. So, redemption has been paid. This, this stone, the stone of sin, has been removed completely by God. And redemption has replaced it. But you know, there's something else. It's no good just having it replaced. I'm afraid it has got to be received. You see, the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world does not mean to say that everyone in the world is saved. Far from it. This redemption has got to be received. Jesus said he was the door. Now, just because a house has got a door doesn't mean to say everyone goes through that door. Uh, if it did, you'd wonder what had happened to your house, everyone passing through. Jesus provides the way of salvation, but each one of us individually has to make our decision to use that door. Now, I can just imagine it. A slave in the slave market of sin, shackled up, and a man says, yes, I paid the price for you, you are now a free man. And he says, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a free man. No, I don't believe it. I'm sorry, I prefer to stay here. Thank you very much. It happens in prison today. When the time for the prisoners to leave comes, <coughs> they're desperately upset, many of them. They don't know what they're going to do. They, they don't want to leave at all. And they can't wait until they're back in. It's a few, but it is some. And you know, most of the people in this world do exactly that. Jesus has come and bought them out of the slave market of sin, and they say, no, sorry. I'm staying right where I am. Thank you very much. And there they are. They remain there. It is entirely up to you. That's why we read in Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's up to you believing individually. Even if you don't believe, Jesus has paid for your sins in full. But it only, I'm afraid, it only is accrued to those who do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid, and by faith in him we have redemption. The message has always been the same. Let's have a look at a few others. Uh, Job 19.25 Job 
Now, Job is the earliest book in the Bible. <coughs> Praise God. It's more than likely Moses wrote it. Now, that's a surprise, isn't it? Most people think Moses only wrote five books. It's probable that he wrote Job as well. And it's probable also that he wrote it in the time uh, before the Exodus. <coughs> Do you remember that 40 years when he was in Midian? That's probably when he wrote, wrote it. And it's the story of a wonderful believer who lived in the land at that time, in the land of Uz, actually. Uh, funnily enough, the Hebrew here is a type of Arabic. It's a very uh, obscure type of Arabic as well. And, of course, the Midianites were Arabs, but they were probably believers, which makes all the difference. Now, have a look at this. Um, Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job says, For I know... This is 2,000 years before Jesus died on the cross. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that the one who brought me out of the slave market of sin is alive at this time. Now, if we say Jesus is alive, people think we're mad. This man was saying it 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Praise the Lord. I know my Redeemer liveth. Not only that, he defines him. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. That's the second advent. Brethren, I'm sorry to break it to you. We are not the first people to talk about the second advent. I'm sorry about that. Neither are we the first people to talk about the millennium. Job was doing it 4,000 years ago. He understood it all. Before him, Enoch was doing it, as we read in Jude, of course, the letter of Jude. Enoch would talk about it. I wonder whether Job learnt it through someone who'd learnt it, through someone who'd learnt it from Enoch. I wonder. The message was passed on. Look at that. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He not only knew about uh, the fact that his body was going to disintegrate in the earth, he also knew that he was going to get a resurrection body which was going to see the Lord Jesus. And this is 2,000 years before Jesus died. How thrilling. I know my Redeemer liveth. The word redemption means to buy out from the slave market of sin. Have a look at another. Psalm 34 Psalm 34 19 to 22. 19 to 22. This, of course, was written 1,000 years before the Lord Jesus. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them, him, out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Now we've got the two sides of it there in verse 22. The Lord redeemeth, he buys out of the slave market of sin the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him. These are people who have put their personal faith in the Lord Jesus. None of them that trust in him shall be 
desolate. Actually, that's a promise for each believer here tonight. None of them that put their trust in him shall be desolate. Now turn to the New Testament, Ephesians 1, 7. Ephesians 1, 7. Here it is, and this is uh, a beautiful statement of it. In whom, and the whom here refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption. You have been redeemed from the slave market of sin. Do you know, that's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people think the good news of the gospel and the gospel means good news, of course, is that you go around saying to everyone, live a good life. So there's a man in prison, and you dash up to him saying, I've got wonderful news for you. And he says, oh, what's that? Live a good life. You probably say, well, uh, I don't think that's terribly good news. Oh, the good news is that you were caught in the, in the prison of sin, but Jesus has come along and opened every door Every door has swung open from here to freedom. You can walk straight through them. That's good news. It's good news to walk up to a person and say, You think you're a sinner? So you are. But Jesus has redeemed you. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. Jesus has redeemed you. You perhaps can think of sins in your life that you've committed that you consider to be terrible. Jesus, being God, is omniscient. He knew millions of years ago every sin that you were going to commit and millions of years ago he knew he was big enough to deal with that particular sin now I know it's hard for you to believe that God can deal with your biggest sin but when he died on the cross he died specially for that sin now it's a wonderful wonderful message now notice in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace you don't enter into the picture you have redemption because of what he is not because of what you are isn't that marvellous von Ribbentrop of course uh, in the second world war was a terrible man he caused the deaths of millions of people including millions of Jews and yet a few days before he died and he was put to death for his war crimes a minister a Bible-believing Christian went to him and told him the good news. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus knew millions of years ago the sins you were going to commit. And von Ribbentrop, right there and then, knelt down in his cell, he was truly in prison. And he said, Lord, I believe you. I believe in you. I trust you that you have redeemed me. Though my sins were great, though I was up to my neck in slaves, in the slave market of sin, and I was one of the worst. I believe you've redeemed me, and I accept you as my personal saviour. That man died just a few days later, and he's now with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Praise God. You see, that's what grace is all about. Grace is not what you do. It's what he's done for you. No matter what sins you commit, and I'm sure no one here has killed millions of Jews, no matter what sins you commit, the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed you from those sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a glorious message we've got for people. As we go on, we're going to see how this complete barrier has been dragged down and removed 
There is no barrier between God and man now. Uh, we could look at this, by the way, in another way. We could see this, uh, the salvation, as it were, of God, not only in terms of redemption, but in terms of atonement. Now, redemption says, I'll repeat it again, he has paid the price for you. Atonement says that he died for the sins of the whole world. There is no sin which you have committed in the past, that you have committed at this moment, now. And there is no sin which you plan to commit tomorrow that the Lord Jesus Christ has not died for. Being omniscient, he knows every sin you're going to commit this next week. And yet, when he saved you, he had counted the cost and he knew his salvation was big enough. Next week I want to go on <coughs> to deal with atonement and then we're going on to the next one, the penalty of sin. I'm then going to break once again, have a digression, when we will deal with the unforgivable sin and we will deal with the fact that no man's sins are going to be judged. For those of the people listening on tapes, uh, it's the third or fourth one after this. For those here, I'm afraid we're going to have to wait for that one.